Oh, good morning, church. Oh, what a great morning of worship. Thank you, worship team, for just leading us to the throne. And this morning, we're continuing this series. We began a brand new series last week called The Kings. And in this series, we're looking at the, some of the kings in the Old Testament. And we're seeing what they did in their day, in their time, in their leadership. And we're looking at what God has called us to do in our day, in our time, and in our generation. Because the fact is this, is that God has placed all of us in areas of leadership. And there's a spiritual leadership that comes if you're a parent... You're a spiritual leader. If you want to be a parent one day, you are a spiritual leader. At your workplace, you're a spiritual leader. You may look around one day and go, I think I'm the only Christian in my entire company, you know. But you are a spiritual leader. God has you there for a reason. God has you there for a purpose. And there's people who work with you. There's people who work for you. You are a spiritual leader. In your community, you're a spiritual leader. At your church, you're a spiritual leader. That God has placed all of us in different areas of life. But God has said, I want to use you for my name and for my glory. Right where you are. So we're looking at these kings in the Old Testament. And the opportunity that they had in their day and their time to lead. And God's call on us. And the amazing part is this. Because many of us, as we continue to grow, we begin to mature. That God enlarges our leadership capacity. And so if we are faithful with little, God continues to give us more. So what we are learning and the way we're growing, and these principles are so foundational for us as we mature in our faith and mature in our lives. Now, last week we looked at our first king. is a guy named King Solomon. And Solomon was David's son. And David, King David, was the king by which every other king is measured by, right? And you go back in the Old Testament, David was a man after God's heart. Uh, David really, I mean, he, he made some mistakes, he made some big mistakes, but he never lost his relationship with the Lord. He never turned his back on God. He was just faithful to God day in and day out. And even after some of the mistakes he's made, he, he was still called a man after God's heart. There was something different about him. Well, his son Solomon comes to the throne, and Solomon starts off well. Uh, we said last week, spiritual leaders pray for wisdom. And that's the first thing that Solomon did. God, give me wisdom. I've never been a king. I don't know how to lead, you know. And we pray for wisdom. God, I've never been a parent. You know, I've never had, you know, responsibility here. I've never been in this job or in this capacity. God, give me wisdom. So Solomon starts well. But then what happened to Solomon? He drifted away, right? Because it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And we saw God's call to faithfulness. Solomon didn't turn around and go, God, I hate you and recant. He, no, he just drifted away took 700 wives and 300 concubines. That was a little bit of a distraction right there, right? You know, but he just drifted from God, started worshiping these foreign gods and his heart drifted. And we said, oh God, that our heart would not drift, that we would stay close to you because it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And this call to faithfulness. This week, we're seeing a new king. His king, his name is Jeroboam, Jeroboam. And he's an Old Testament guy, but we're going to see God's call to character. God's call to character as we unpack the word of God today. And I'm excited that you're here. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings, Old Testament, right there. It's in that section, 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles, that first and second section right there. Maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures online and follow along with what God's word has to say today in 1 Kings. We're going to pick up at chapter 11 or we'll put the words on the screen if you are taking notes. You can do that in the worship guide. But at 1 Kings chapter 11, we see Solomon drifting from God. And God had told Solomon, remember this? God said, Solomon, listen, if you stay faithful to me, I will bless you all the days of your life, right? You'll never worry, man. You're just going to be blessed. But if you are disobedient to me, there's going to be consequences. 
There are. I mean, I just can't let this continue on because it's going to impact so many other people and they'll fall from me because of your influence. So if you are disobedient to me, then one day the kingdom is going to be taken from you. Not from you, but from your son. I mean, that's hard. You know, it's one thing for me, but you know, for my children. But it's going to be from your son. And so that's what we see here. Israel is at a place of prominence. I mean, you talk about a world power on the stage. I mean, they are just, you know, they've got lots of money. They've got lots of riches. I mean, Solomon was wealthy, billions and billions of dollars. But look what happens here in verse 26 of chapter 11. It says, also Jeroboam, son of Nebat, rebelled against the king. So this guy is also rebelling against Solomon. You can go back and look at some of Solomon's other enemies, his adversaries that are there. And he was one of Solomon's officials, an Ephraimite from Zedera, whose mother was a widow from Z- named Zerhul. Here's the account of how he rebelled against the king. Solomon had built supporting terraces and had filled the gap in the wall in the city of David, his father. Now Jeroboam was a man of standing. And when Solomon saw how well the young man did his work, he put him in charge of the whole labor force of the house of Joseph. Okay, so here's Jeroboam. And man, this guy is a hard worker. He's a leader. And he starts rising up in the ranks, right? And Solomon recognizes him. He goes, you're doing a great job. You're doing great. I'm going to put you in charge of more. Now he's over the entire labor force. But in his heart, he's rebelling against the king. In his heart, he's listening to all the gossip and all the backstabbing and saying, yeah, he's doing a terrible job and I would do a better job as king. I could take over. I could run this country better. And that's just welling up inside of him. It says, about that time, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem and Ahijah, the prophet from Shiloh, met him on the way wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone in the country and Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into 12 pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, take 10 of the pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. See, I'm going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you 10 tribes. But for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. So Jeroboam goes on in chapter 11, he rebels against the king, says, I could do it better than you. Well, Solomon finds out about his rebellion and Solomon comes after him and Solomon's the king and he has the whole army. And so they chase Jeroboam and Jeroboam leaves town and heads down to Egypt to camp out. Here's the first thing I want you to see is spiritual leadership calls us to be godly under authority. Spiritual leadership calls us to be godly under authority. Jeroboam didn't realize this, but but Jeroboam was under the authority of the king. And God had established that. Yes, God had placed a call on Jeroboam's life. Jeroboam, I'm going to give you additional leadership in the future. But Jeroboam tried to fulfill it his way in his timing versus waiting on God. It can happen for us too, right? And sometimes people at work and they're saying, well, the boss does this and they're terrible. And, you know, one day, you know, I'm going to be the boss. And and that, that just starts this whole cancer going through the whole company. You see it in sports, you know. You see it in HOAs, right? You see it with middle school or high school students. You go, honor your father and mother. But there, there comes this time and we just think, oh, I can step into this. But God's going, you're not ready yet. Yes, I have a call in your life, but you're not ready yet. And you need to be respectful for those who are in authority right now. Now, remember, we're contrasting all these kings against King David. And watch what David did. If you go back to 1 Samuel 16, David was anointed as a young man to be king over Israel. But there was already a king, Saul. Now, what did David do? David didn't go out and go, okay, well, I'm going to go take out the current king. 
David said, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait for the Lord to fulfill his will in my life in God's timing. I'm going to be patient. So David prayed for Saul. David served Saul. David helped out because David knew that when he succeeded, the king succeeded, then everybody succeeded. David was patient there. But as David's influence grew more and more, Saul became jealous of him. And there was an incident that happened in 1 Samuel 24 that I think is so powerful. Saul is across. He's coming with his army. He's trying to find David. And David and his men are hiding in a cave. And Saul goes into the cave, it says in 1 Samuel 24, to relieve himself, right? I mean, he's got to go to the bathroom, right? I mean, they had to go to the bathroom back then. And so Saul pulls into this cave, comes into water a rock inside the cave there. And David and his men are ready. And his men look at David and go, David! God delivered him. Take him out. Take your sword and run it through him. And you're the new king. And what did David do? Guys, no. You do not touch the Lord's anointed. David snuck up. He cut off the end of his robe. And when Saul left and he was winding his way down the canyon, David stood up on the mountain and said, Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. I have respect for those in authority over me. And then David felt bad that he even cut off his robe. Now, Saul later on is killed in battle and David becomes the king. But do you think that went a long way for David as a ruler? He ruled 40 years, right? And it was only in the later life that anybody rebelled against him. Why? Because David established something. Hey, respect the Lord's anointed. Respect those in authority. Pray for those in leadership. And I think that's a call for all of us. We may not agree with everything that happens in our company or in our country or in our community or anything else. But while we are under authority, we pray for those above us. And we pray that they would succeed because when the leadership succeeds, we succeed. And in God's timing, God will raise you up and give you more authority, more leadership, more opportunities. But you trust God and you're faithful where you are. And Jeroboam didn't do that. He rebelled and he ran away. Well, Solomon, if you pick up in verse 43, Solomon dies, says he rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and, Jer- and Rehoboam, not Jeroboam, Rehoboam, I'm glad they rhyme because we know they're together here, uh, his son succeeded him as king. Now look at Rehoboam, chapter 12, verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. So now Solomon's son is coming to the throne, and he goes to Shechem to have this big coronation ceremony, this big inauguration. Everybody's showing up for it. And when Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. And he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. So they go to Rehoboam and they said, okay, listen, we know you're going to be the king. Jeroboam's learned something in his life probably by this point. But listen, your dad wore us out. Your dad had all these billions of dollars. He wanted to build everything. He wanted to fortify all these cities. He wanted to take over the world, you know. We're tired. Give us a break. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. Smart thing, Rehoboam. 
You've never been a king. Go to the elders. Go to ask people advice. Go to ask godly people for wisdom. Well, they replied, If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. So he rejects their advice and goes to his buddies. Hey dudes, what do you guys think, you know? I mean, I know you're serving me and you're working for me, but tell me what I want to hear. And he asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. What does that mean? You think my dad was bad. You just wait till you get a load of me. I am tough. I am strong. I am large and I am in charge, right? My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, come back to me in three days. And the king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given by the elders. He followed the advice of the young man and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scores you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Man. So the king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. When all of Israel saw that the king had refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, O Israel. Look after your own house, O David. Oh, he blew it, right? Spiritual leaders know this. Spiritual leaders know to listen to godly counsel. To listen to godly counsel. Before you and I make decisions, before you and I rush ahead, we say, God, I need godly counsel. Help put people around me. Let me process this decision. Let me process this job opportunity. Let me process what decision I'm getting ready to make. Because it has huge implications, not only in my life, but in the lives of many others. And the second thing is this. The spiritual leadership is about love, right? It's not about force. It's about love. And Rehoboam totally missed this. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the forced labor, but all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. See, this is one of the saddest times in the history of Israel. They were in this place of prominence. They were successful. They were doing great as a nation, as a country. And then comes Rehoboam and he won't listen to godly counsel. And there comes this divide. A civil war breaks out. I'll show you a map up here and you can see that there's 10 tribes that go into the north and that's called the nation of Israel. So from this point on, King Jeroboam is now the king of the 10 tribes of Israel. Down in the south, it's called Judah. And Judah is not only the, the tribe of Judah, but Simeon was in there as far as land goes. The Levites who would come and lead out the temple. Now, if you ever go to Israel, you can see there's kind of a natural land break there between Joppa on the coast 
and Jericho over there right above the Dead Sea. And so it fell out. Just so you have the nation of Israel to the north. You have Judah to the south. But the entire nation is split in two. And this defines really the rest of the Old Testament. I mean, later on, the Assyrians are going to come in in 722 B.C. And they're going to conquer the northern kingdom. 586 B.C., the Babylonians come in and conquer the southern kingdom. And it all comes back to this defining point right here. And the sin... And not listening to godly counsel and not being wise in the area of leadership. And it has so much bigger impact than just on this guy Rehoboam or on Jeroboam. And in your life and in my life, man, this call to follow God, this call to trust God, it's so powerful and important. Pick up in verse 26, because you would think Jeroboam would learn from this. Jeroboam would come now. He's the king over the 10 tribes. God made him king. You would think, okay, Jeroboam, you've got a great chance. You've got a great opportunity. You lead well. You didn't like the way Solomon did it. You saw he was pulling away from God. You didn't like what Rehoboam was doing. Now you've got a chance. You do it right. Well, then Jeroboam fortified Shechem and the hill country around Ephraim. And he lived there. And from there he went out and he built up Penel, Jeroboam thought to himself, right? The kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David if these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me in return to King Rehoboam. So Jeroboam starts to think, hey, wait a minute. If these guys cross that boundary line and go to Jerusalem to worship, then they may go back to Rehoboam. And fear dominates his decision-making. Instead of saying, God, you're the one who put me in charge. You know, you're the one who gave me this kingdom and this opportunity. (gasps) What if I lose it? What if I lose it? So, after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. Wow. I don't know if you remember this, but back when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they met God at Mount Sinai and God gave them the Ten Commandments... And Moses went up on the mountain and Moses was gone for a while and the people started rebelling against God and said, hey, we don't need God. Let's just make our own little image. Let's make our own thing. And they they threw all their gold in and they made what? A golden calf. (laughs) And here's Jeroboam repeating the same mistake, the same sin. And he said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And one he set up at Bethel and the other at Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people went even as far as Dan to worship the one there. See, spiritual leadership, spiritual leadership doesn't lead out of fear. And sometimes we fall into that category, don't we? Oh, I got to make this decision or I could lose my job. I got to make this decision because I could lose this relationship. Oh, I can't say anything or I can't step up and really lead because what's going to happen? And fear dominates our responses. We forget God is the one who put me here. God's the one who's given me the opportunity. God's the one who's going to take care of me. God's the one who's blessing me. Spiritual leadership is about moving people onto God's agenda and not moving away. And Jeroboam should have thought about this. Man, I have an opportunity here for people to engage with a God who is God over all. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. But he didn't. In 1 Kings chapter 13, God sends a prophet to warn Jeroboam and say, Jeroboam, listen, if you don't turn your life around, listen, if you don't put God first, there's going to be severe consequences. If you're disobedient to God, something's going to happen. And then in verse 33, it says this, even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways. 
but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and its destruction from the face of the earth. From the face of the earth. And Jeroboam had a shot and he blew it. Why? Because here's the fact. Character matters. And spiritual leaders know that character matters. There's an old saying, right? Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Now, why is that? Why? I mean, what is that? Well, because when you're down in the organization, you're down in life, it's, it's kind of easy to hide behind things. But as you move up, and as you move up, and whether it's in, in your jobs, or whether it's as a parent, and then having more kids, or whether it's in life, or whether it's in your school, or wherever you are, then all of a sudden, then your character is revealed. And people start to see who you really are. It's not just, hey, well, maybe they made that decision, but it was maybe their boss that made the decision. But no, it becomes your decision. And that's why the problem for many of us is we try to manipulate our circumstances so often instead of working on our heart. And God says, no, 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 no. Wherever you are, in the good times and the bad times, you work on your character. You follow me. You trust me because I am sovereign over all creation. I am the king of kings and lord of lords. I control everything. You just hold on to me and trust me. Let me be enough for you. And I'll take care of everything else. In spiritual leadership, I think there's really three important characteristics as we develop and build our character. And the first one is this. It's humility. It's humility. Humility, you know, saying, God, I trust you. God, I'm dependent on you. God, uh, you're enough for me. It's not about me. But so often in our society, in our culture, it's all about me, right? I got to be first. I got to be right. I got to be seen. If you look at the people of the Bible, Moses, Moses, this guy was an incredible leader. I mean, Moses walked down into Egypt and told the Pharaoh to let, you know, a million of his slaves go. Right. I mean, he leads a million slaves. I mean, that would wreck their economy back then. But God was with him and a million slaves walk out. And you know what it said about Moses? Moses didn't go. Yeah, that's right. That was all me. You know, Moses, it said, was the most humble man that ever lived. The most humble man that ever lived. There was a humility that went with him. Humility. We think, man, that's kind of a foreign concept in our world today, but is it? There was a business book that was written several years ago. It it was called Good to Great. It was by a guy named Jim Collins, and it was kind of a revolutionary book because they compared, they they did all these studies, and they compared like two different companies and how one company, same market share, you know, same, you know, employees and same education level. And yet one company would take off and the other company would just kind of fall away and file chapter 13. They would say, why is that? Why do you see that? What happens? And he brought it back to leadership. And he said, these companies were led by level five leaders. And here's what he defined as a level five leader. Personal humility and professional will. Personal humility. That's a business book that they're going, wait a minute, there's something about humility. There's something about when you don't worry about who gets the credit. There's something about that. You know what? (laughs) Jesus. Where the kings would measure themselves against David. For us as believers, it says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness, 
And being found in the appearance of a man, he, he humbled himself. He humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Can you imagine? I mean, Jesus left the throne room of heaven to come down to those he created. To those he created. And he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why? Because he knew the greater good. He knew that you and I were dead in our sins and our transgressions without redemption, without somebody paying the price. And he humbled himself. Humility. Humility. Secondly, is this, it's service. It's service. That our spiritual character, that our nature is one of humility, but it's also one of service. Do you remember what those officials, the wise elders said to Rehoboam? If you will serve these people, if you will see this position of leadership, it's not just for people to serve you, but if you will see this as a place for you to serve other people, for you to help other people, for you to invest in other people, you know what? They will serve you all of your days. You know, man, here you go. No. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. No. It's so contrary to Jesus, right? It tells us in John chapter 13, the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now listen, washing feet back then was reserved for the lowest servant. I mean, you have to think, these people wore sandals. They walked everywhere they went. It was muddy, it was dirty, it was nasty, right? And so when they would walk into a house, the lowest level servant was there to wash the feet. They come to the evening meal And none of the disciples washed the feet. They just all walked in and sat down. Okay, who's going to wash my feet, you know? And Jesus, Jesus gets up. He puts a towel around him and he comes over and he just starts washing their feet. And then Jesus says, you know what? If your master will do this for you, shouldn't you do this as well? Jesus said, my kingdom is about serving others. My kingdom is about bringing glory to the Father. My kingdom is about investing in others. Serve. Two weeks ago, we uh, were having a meeting about our budget, you know. And we have a guy on our finance team who's the chairman of our finance team. His name is Ben Majette. And Ben works for LP, uh, incredible, you know, husband. And he's got three kids. One's in high school, one's middle school, one's in elementary school. Well, Ben, since he's a chairman of the finance team, he was off in business in California and he took the red eye to be back here for church that Sunday morning and to stay for the meeting about the budget because we start our new budget on October 1, our new fiscal year. So Ben takes the red eye, flies all the way back. He's here for the meeting and he's, he's worshiping and then he's, you know, serving together. And then he drives home. Well, when he gets home, he realizes, I wonder who took out the trash. I wonder who took out the trash. Because you see, when we moved into this building four and a half years ago, Ben and his wife, Charlotte, and their three kids said, hey, we'll take the trash out every Sunday after church. So after the second service, they go into the back, they get a big carrier, and they walk around and clean out the trash because he said there's dirty diapers in there, and there's all kinds of things. It's just going to be smelly. It's going to be bad. And he's just done that ever since he's been here. Brian and Amy Hassler and other people have helped out, but that's just been his mission. So 
Ben realizes this after taking the red eye all the way back, and he gets in his car, and he drives all the way back over here, and he picks up the trash for the entire building. I was like, whoa, wow. He just said it's about service. It's so many of you guys. That's your heart. Your heart is mission. Your heart is service. And I watch you, and I see you, and I love that about God's church. And I just pray, as we continue to grow in our leadership capacity, as we continue to grow even as a church, that we never forget We never forget. It's about humility. It's about serving. It's about making a difference in the lives of others for the glory of our God. And number three is this, compassion. Compassion. Jesus said when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Rehoboam, when he saw the crowds, he's like, woo-hoo-hoo, make me king, you know? Jeroboam was saying, how can I rebel? How can people serve me? And Jesus just saw people in hurt and need and said, man, I want to make a difference. Compassion. This past week, a, a man in our church, he's just an incredible man. I love him very much. And his wife went home to be with the Lord this week. And by the time I got up to the hospital, um, he was actually in California. He was flying back. And, and I got up to the hospital room. And the hospital room was filled with people from his small group. They were way ahead of me or anybody on staff. They were just there. And, and, and they were surrounding her. And praying over her. And she was sick. She'd been fighting cancer for a long time. And she was in the hospital bed. And and then they went to the airport to pick him up. And to bring him to the hospital. And I just watched this small group. And I just watched people just surround him. And she was in the hospital for a few days. And people spent the night. They just stayed the night in the hospital. And just prayed with them. And stayed with them. They stocked his refrigerator and brought him meals. and, And the lady had told me two months earlier... So he said, Jeff, I just want to say thank you for the difference that the church has made in my husband. He's not the same man. She goes, you know, he loves me. He loves me so much. He's so patient with me. He's so kind with me. And I said, listen, Annie, that's not me. That's not Rolling Hills. That's Jesus. That's Christ changing his life. And she goes, I know. I know. But I just watch people serve and I watch people love. And it's amazing to see what God's doing in his life but in the life of believers. And here's the fact, church. Here's the fact. You see, you see nobody, nobody drifts into humility. Nobody drifts into service or compassion. You know what? Those are daily pursuits. That's something every day that you wake up and say, God, 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 here's my heart. And I know the nature of my heart is always about serving me. and It's always about bringing glory to me. But, but God, today, I want my heart beat to radiate you. I want my life to bring glory to you. I want to serve my spouse. I'm going to serve my children. I'm going to serve my company. I want to serve in the people around me. God, give me compassion and humility. Jesus, I want to live like Christ today for your name and your glory. This past week, a, a, an incredible man of God went home to be with the Lord. His name was Truett Cathy. Truett Cathy, 93 years old. And Truett Cathy, in 1946 in Georgia, started a restaurant. It's now called Chick-fil-A, right? I mean, and it's amazing to watch Chick-fil-A grow and billions and billions of dollars have come in. But you know what? Truett Cathy, is, he's always maintained that he was going to be the spiritual leader of his family the spiritual leader of his company, the spiritual leader of his community, and the spiritual leader of his church. And Chick-fil-A has stuck by their principles, you know, from day one. And you know how many people have come to Chick-fil-A and said, are you crazy? You're closed on Sundays. What are you doing? There's seven days in a week. If you were open on Sunday, think about how much more money you would make. And besides that, it's Christian chicken. 
Every church would go there after service, you know? I mean, you would make so much more money. And Tori Kathy's like, I don't care. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I mean, I want, my, I want to be able to worship. I want my employees to be able to worship. I want them to be with their families. I want them to be in church. I want them to experience community. I know that. And God's honored and God's blessed. And with all this money that's come in, you know, he started boys camps and girls camps and the Chick-fil-A Foundation and all these things that have impacted people all over the world. But you know my favorite part about Truett Kathy? For 50 years, 50 years, Truett Kathy has taught 8th grade boys Sunday school at his church. 50 years of worship one, serve one. I'm going to pour into 8th grade boys. Now, if anybody had an excuse... Not to teach, right? It's true, Kathy. I'm too busy. <laughs> I'm running a billion-dollar company. I've got travel all over. I've got all these people I'm, I'm responsible for. I've got all kinds of excuses that I could use. But true, Kathy, for 50 years, taught eighth grade boys. And what did he do in the process? He raised up a generation of young men who love the Lord and a generation that will all outlive him. A legacy of faith for the glory of God. Jeroboam missed it. And I pray that we don't. I pray that we understand what God has entrusted to us. And that we use every ounce of our being for his name and for his glory. We make the most of this opportunity. And so as you think about your life, as I think about my life, you know. Does my life look more like Jeroboam or does it look more like Jesus? (laughs) Every day when I wake up, is it about my kingdom or is it about his kingdom? Is it about leading people to me or is it about leading people to him? Do I lead out of fear or do I lead out of faith? Because there's a God who loves you and a God who believes in you. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know this. God is sovereign. (laughs) And God has you where you are today for a reason and for a purpose. Now, would you be faithful? Today, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking about trying to manipulate all the circumstances of your life and trying to make it happen. And today, would you just let go and let God? God, today, I don't want to live a life of fear. God, today, I want to live a life of faith. God, today I want you to be the Lord and the King of my heart. Maybe today is a day of salvation. Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. I know you brought me here for a reason. I know you're drawing me to yourself. God, I give my life to you. Maybe today is a day would you just say, in all of my relationships, my family, friends, roommates, workplace, school, HOA, God, am I being godly? Am I leading well? Or maybe today is just a day to say, thank you, Jesus. Make me humble, a servant. Father God, here we are, your people, your disciples today. That you've entrusted leadership and spiritual leadership opportunities to us. And today I pray, oh God, that you would find us faithful. 
I pray that our lives would look more and more like Christ. That our attitude would be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Wherever we are, Father. God, we are yours. Holy and completely. That you are the king of our lives and the joy of our heart. So thank you for your presence this morning, Father. Transform us, O God, from the inside out. And send us out as redeemed and restored in the name, the precious name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen.